Hoodoo plant mamas Get your soul fed And your spirit red This here in my trend I possess the power from way back when Back when folk was stripped from all of their kin So they had to find the magic within Ancestors and gather my urge I conjure at my altar Hoodoo plant mamas Manifest growth and I release trauma. Child, we just out here trying to water our plants and mind our business, you know? Everybody ain't from the deep south, man. Everybody can't have a culture like us. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of Hoodoo Plant Mamas. I am one of your co-hosts, Leah Nicole. And I'm Danny B. And today we are joined by... Kiese Layman. Kiese, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, uh, my name is Kiese Layman. <laughs> I teach and I write, and I'm happy to be here. Well, before we get started, Kiese, we always do a check-in, so how are you today? I'm tired, but I feel happy tired. You know, sometimes you be sad tired. I'm like, I'm not tired, I'm just sleepy. I'm just very, I'm just trying to catch up on my sleep for the last few years, I guess, I think so. But I'm happy. I'm happy sleepy. What about you, Leah? I'm doing pretty good. I recently just finished my third manuscript and I know I'm pretty, pretty happy about it. But like you, I am happy, tired. I'm excited to take a break. Um, So that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) How come I I see Nan one? Do you want to see him? Yeah. Oh, Oh, that's scary. Okay. (laughs) Wow. That's wow. That's wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's well, a you've been year. working. Shoot. I have been writing a lot. I am doing pretty good today, too. Yeah, I'm just, I'm doing the best I can, like mm-hmm. always. All right. Well, before we get into the show, uh, what are y'all grateful for today? I'll let you go first, uh, Leah. I have been thinking about this all week. I am grateful for gospel music. Um, I just got a little bored with the music I was listening to and I went back to gospel music and it really hit the spot. And I just, I don't want to say gospel music is wasted on children, but I think as a child, I was like, oh, this, this some good vibes, you know, I was like, I like the way this sounds, but I didn't know what it meant until I grew up. <laughs> so now I understand gospel music. So I, now I want to say I'm grateful for that. What are you grateful for today, Kiese? I've been writing about friendship, and this my new my thing is about friendship. So I'm just thankful for friendship and all of its complications. I'm thankful for it. Today, I'm thankful for you being here because I read the first Long Division like before it got revised, and then the second one because I had a lot of feelings about the first one. And then the second one, I also was a different age. Mm. So it was a different experience this time. So it was honestly like a decade difference between when I read that one and this one. So it was like, okay. Wow. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. So I guess we can get into it. Leah, do you want to start us off? So when I was reading this book, it seemed that like, Freedom is this reoccurring theme. And for the Black people in this book, they imagine freedom in a variety of different ways. Like the grandma imagined it in the context of the church. And then Coach Stroud and Principal Reeves imagine it as being educated and being excellent. And then city, both cities, 
kind of imagine freedom through language. And so I'm thinking at the end when Mama Laura is talking to City about how words make people disappear and reappear and how he has the power to do both. I was wondering, like, what were your intentions in terms of freedom and power through language? Yeah, that's that's it. I mean, that's that's a great question. That's the that's a book. That's the book. Um, I like grew up in the deep south, and and my grandmother. Uh, I mean, all all, all my teachers. I call my grandmother, my mother, my aunties, teachers. All my teachers use like language and sort of like I think innovative ways to sort of communicate what they were feeling and also to kind of communicate to me. And when I was writing this book, I was thinking about, you know, how as a young person, very, even though they use language in very like inventive ways, they didn't ask us anything really that, you know, we didn't really get asked many questions. And so I just wanted to write a book about, you know, young black kids understandably trying to make it through the worlds that their grandmother and their parents and the world has made for them. With, with the tool that they have, that's the most sort of like, to me, the most like potent tool that they have, which is their language and their ability to make words. And, you know, the book is about that. The book is about like trying to, trying to correct grasp and create meaning and, 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 and words about your experience when your experience just keep, keeps getting more twisted and all these people keep telling you what your experiences are. And you like, but that what you saying don't really match up with what I'm experiencing. So when it gets to that point, you just got to write. And that's what I think we all are doing. It's like definitely like Southern writers, you know, black Southern writers, like people keep trying to tell us what we supposed to write. People keep trying to tell us it's in the third and then you just got to go out there and make that shit, you know, because if you just do what people tell you to do, you're going to write great stories for them, but they might not be the stories you need to hear. And what I'm trying to say, Drew, doing long division is just say like, sometimes those shits don't come all the way around either. You know, sometimes, sometimes they don't cohere. Uh, I mean, I actually don't think they ever cohere, but I still think you can get meaning whether or not the stuff actually like is concluded in a nice bow. You know, I still think you can get a lot of meaning from it. I'm glad you brought up meaning. So like in the book at the beginning, City is given this test. In the end, Bayes has answered it. And one question is past, present and future exist within you and you change them by changing the way you live your life. And after reading that book, I was thinking about meaning making I was thinking about perspective and there was this one point where grandma told city that he had to forget because grown black folks forget and we have to do that in order to survive but we also have the power to go back and to look at things to time travel to revisit to revise the way that we've seen things the way that we've experienced our lives we have the power to change our Mm -hmm. own story and so anyway i'm thinking about how meaning shifts depending on like what projections and what experiences we bring to it and how it's necessary to consider all things um, when we try to understand the truth and so i was trying to figure out like what were you trying to accomplish in terms of meaning making and perspective and and searching for the truth within all of that. When you just said that, what I thought about first was just this sort of, um, I don't even know if it's precarious if everybody, I don't know if something can be precarious if everybody sort of does it, but I just want to say like this precarious position the grandmother's in between, you know, she's telling City what she wants him to believe, what she wants to believe, but the book is showing you that she she ain't forgotten shit. You know what I'm saying? Like she's she ain't forgetting nothing. But at the same time, she believes that she can protect her child by protecting the child from her memory and from our cultural memory. And I just think that 
it's hard to find meaning when like the the floor is shifting, like the floor that you're on, people are being like, don't look at that floor. If it, if, if it, if it hurts or it brings you any, don't look at that floor. Just look forward, just look forward. And then you want to be like, I'm looking forward, but like my body's on this thing called a floor. Can I look down at it? No, just look forward. And so, yeah, we make it meaning as we're going, but we're also making meaning while again, where people are trying to tell us that the floor or yesterday or some shit that we should like, <laughs> not really explore so i don't i don't I, so i think that the meaning is gonna be funky you know what i mean or one could argue queer you know like i'm not and when i say queer i'm talking about just like a like a like a radical like variation from like the norm and and i, th- I think that's what we create in the mississippi art like real talk like but but the meaning and, and so it gets so funky and so weird because i think we're constantly grasping for something that even our own people are so, somehow telling us isn't there or be wary of going there but we can see that their bodies and their actual hearts don't abide by the shit they're saying. Like that's that was, that was my experience. You know, people would tell me these things, and I'd be like, "But you ain't living that, fam." Like I I see that in you. You know, my mama even coming to my room, clean your room up and shit. I was a hard headed kid, but I'm like, "But my nigga, your room fucked up looking. Like how you gonna be telling me to clean my room? It don't matter. I got to clean my room, so I'm gonna have to clean my room every day. I'm walking past my mama room, looking at her room all dirty. So I got to talk about the meaning in that. Like then it makes a clean room not be as significant as a grown-up as they tell you to be not it doesn't make you hate your mom for having a clean room you just realize that damn i'm cleaning my motherfucking room my mama smart as hell she ain't cleaning her shit why am i cleaning my room for like i'm just saying like so i'm just saying like i just think that's like a metaphor for me so i think i was like 20 when i read the other version of long division like the one prior to you revising Mm -hmm. and now i'm 30 and i just read this one And I don't know why, but I feel like I had way more em- empathy for particularly uh, Lavender, Peel, mm. and City. I think I cringed less with City, and then I had more empathy for Lavender. I couldn't stand both of them the first time, at least <laughs> in with that spelling bee situation. Yeah. But I was just thinking about, like, City for me was, like, kind of like this really like blatant resistance to respectability like he always did whatever the most embarrassing thing that like an older black person can imagine a grandchild or child would do like he did it that's right somehow this time at this age like I wasn't mad I wasn't irritated because I was like he right but also like it doesn't even matter if he does this people are gonna look at him the way they look at him anyway you know what i mean that's so scary you say that i wrote that shit but when you say that i'm like yo that's the scariest part of it all right you can fucking put your little bow tie on and say elevator all you want to black children can't win like black children cannot win no matter what they do and we've already seen how that played out very recently the young black teen that got shot for going to the wrong um uh-huh. neighborhood and door and uh-huh. it turns out he like a, a picture perfect type of student musician in the band you know he's the poster child for for the black kid that quote unquote doesn't deserve that so and it's like they can't win so i think for me that's what re- i really thought about with city yeah. i will say with lavander I feel sorry for him because his, like, Lavender kind of represented, I feel like what we all go through with our parents, mm-hmm. 
and it don't be making sense, but you feel like you have to do it. And then you go and project that on other kids. Like I deal with my, everything, my grandma, all her problematic, respectable thoughts. I used to project all that shit on the Mm. kids. I went to school. I wasn't that bold, but I would just be like, "Mm." right, right. Right. That's exactly why so and so, so and so, you know. That's so. it. <laughs> but even in that sentence, like that's exactly why, like, because so much of what we learned was was why people who aren't what we or our parents wanted them to be, like that's why. Like even my mama, you know, my mama teach political science. She writes about poverty, and I'll be talking to her sometimes, and she used to write. She used to talk about the people who lived over on the other street, and she would talk about the people like. All of her structural critiques went out the door when talking about the people on the other street. You know, like they didn't have this because they daddy wasn't home. And I'm like, what the fuck? What you blaming all that on the on the absence of a father? Well, Keith, our father was in our house, but I'm like, that nigga wasn't no good. What you talking about? You know, but but yeah. So I feel you. Yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I mean, that's that's where the book that that was. That's the hard part of what I remember writing that book. I was like, yo, this is some. This is a sad story. Like. Like, to me, it's as sad as it gets. To me, it's far sadder than, like, heavy. Really. Like, at the core of that shit. But then it's just like, how do you, how do you, you know, sort of dress it up in different ways and talk about the other stuff? But, yo, if you accept what you just said, which is black kids can't win, then, like, what do we, you know, what do they do? And ultimately, I just didn't want them to do it alone. You know, that's why they ended up under the ground with with each other. Because whatever we do do, I think we do have to lean on each other, right? Even though we also have to be cultivate those individual places where we're alone. Um, but I just didn't want to leave those kids alone. I, I wanted them to have each other because I kind of think that's all black kids do have. I do think that's the truth. So, Yes, that is true. Mm. And I, I mean, I know that like there's a lot of conversations about humanizing black kids and, right. you know, people get mad when we say that children are the most oppressed group, right. but like, children ain't got no autonomy people will justify abusing children under the guise of discipline and yeah so I I really like not only black children like at the center of this story but at the center of these really like important and difficult and complicated decisions Mm -hmm. that we do go through but adults in our lives like because we're so we were so invisible they didn't realize all of what we were dealing with and trying to think through and trying to process at that age so and they had to deal with it as young people who who and i don't like to use this word when talking about this book because it's i think the word now i'm not sure what it means when people say it but you know those people were dealing with a whole lot of complicated textured trauma that they didn't want to really sit in and deal with and they got that from from parents or great grandparents from communities or da 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 and so you know like that's that's where i am in my life and i mean I, i i'm not mad at them I'm sad, but I'm not mad at them for for not being able to do sort of the incredible, like the un, undoable. But I just don't, I hope we can be different. I just want to agree when you said that this was a really sad book. I did cry at the end with Baze. I was like, I want her to come back. Yeah, yeah. I want her to come back. I want a reality where like she gets to be with her parents. Uh, I have some beef with Shalea Crump, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shalea Crump, a complicated character, yo. She's like when I first wrote that book, man, I was so mad at that character, man. But then I was just like, that's what the character keeps wanting to do. The character, because I was also trying to comment on like 
this young black woman being like, yeah, like I have a life to live too. And the people be like, but that's your daughter. I have a life to live too. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that I wanted to not blame her for wanting to live her life and, and understand her origin for this daughter, at least in the book that she didn't really know. But like, you know, coming up around a lot of black women who were encouraged to choose motherhood, like, like aggressively and all, you know, my mom and my aunties and them, they didn't do it. Like, even if they had kids, like they weren't going to be my grandmother. They weren't going to be like that. Like, let me make three meals a day for my kid. Let me make sure all the bills are paid. Let me, you know, they were like, you know, we young, we're going to go out there and do our shit. And we go, yeah, we're going to tell our kids to pull their pants up and do their homework. But we ain't going to be that quote unquote responsible black mother that, 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 you know, the race, like that the race needs and all that bullshit. So I wanted to put that in a character, but the character just, and I wanted to end the character to be like, Baze, let's go home, to, you know, but Shalea was like, nah, bruh, bruh, like, I don't want to fuck with this right now. I want to go figure for, figure out me. I would just say, and we was texting about this, Leah, I just thought staying in that time period, though, was insane. <laughs> like, all right, you don't want to go, but like, come on, y'all need to get back in there and go somewhere else. Like, just bring it up a decade, maybe. <laughs> That's real. That's real. But you know what's real wild about that? Is that I remember now, because when I was doing all them interviews for that story, and I was talking to my grandmama and her, and my, her friend, Miss um, Diggs, who was alive at the time. Cause I started doing interviews for this a long time ago and they would be talking about this. And my mama even would be talking about like the sixties and you know, when people really start talking about their time period, they talk about their friendships and those friendships just felt so they didn't feel dated. They didn't feel like some anachronistic type of thing, you know, like they were, they were complicated. So what I didn't like about it was how she would like fell for that white boy, you know, like so fast. I'm talking about, I'm talking about city. Like city was just like, it was city just trying to be like, why he ain't me, you know? I also just think, I'm not sure, Shalea likes that kid a lot, but I also think Shalea is into something, is is interested in herself in, like, a really complicated, deep way. But I think that's a great question, Danny. Like, and she ain't ready for that time period. But I don't think none of us are ready for the time periods we live in. Maybe I just didn't remember it, but I feel like I don't remember y'all, like, them... I'm saying y'all like you was in the book, but I don't remember the characters dragging him like that when he was trying to say he Jewish and they was like, yeah. okay, but you white too. And then he'll be right. like, y'all anti-Semitic. Yeah. And, and they'd be like, what's that? Like, what even, right. we just saying that you white. I don't remember that, but I was laughing this time. And yeah. maybe it was cause I was like, probably didn't know. I probably didn't have a good understanding of race versus ethnicity at 20. Right. And I'm not right. ashamed to say that. But right. <laughs> right. Right. We, I mean, but that's, we didn't, like, I mean, to me, the, the thing about that book that's so interesting to me, and I'm not gassing myself over that book, that <laughs> book is, that book is fucked up in a lot of ways, and I, it just, it's just too, I just couldn't bring it all together, but I do think it's important for us to, like, create black characters that are ignorant, as, as, as I am, as we are, you know, and so, like, when that, you know, when they're like, you ain't Jewish, you white, like, I know that's something a lot of us have felt and said, but I also just think in some ways, like those kids are wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just think in some ways, like those kids about that, about that boy. And a lot of ways that boy is wrong. Cause that boy is like, I'm not white. I'm fucking Jewish. And they're like, bro, you white. And he's like, well, if I was white, why are they doing this to us? And he, and they're like, I don't know why white people do the shit they do, but I know that they would never come ask us to help us get y'all. 
And then and then he's like, but but then he's like, but if they did though, what would you do? And and those kids are like, but they wouldn't. And he's like, yeah, but if they did, and he's like, but they wouldn't. And I feel like that's that's black and Jewish relationships to some degree. You know what I'm saying? Like they wouldn't come, but and and when they have come to ask us to help oppress Jewish people, which is very complicated, especially in the region we live in. I mean, some black folks are like, yo, like let's go after them Jewish people. And I'm like, fam, why are you you helping these white Christian nationalists go after? at least where we from, the only white folk you could consistently count on who are complicated and still white. But so I don't want, I just wanted to kind of explore that. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that was a good point. And it gave me a lot to think about because when I first, I think Millsaps was the first time that this came up for me in general, because my grandma had mentioned Jewish people like in a positive way, like growing up, I, there was never anything negative said, but it wasn't clicking for me when white people would introduce that as an identity and then right. say some racist. Right. Like for me, it just wasn't clicking. And I was right. like, what? Yeah. So anyway, but I think that the question of, okay, but if they ask y'all to do this to us, would you? It's hard to say whether or not because you got black folks coming down on black queer folks. You have them coming down on black women and black trans folks. So the oppressor might be able to ask you to go attack this group. And if you feel like you're going to get something out of it, it, maybe you will. To me, that's it. We have an announcement. We now have a bookshop where you can buy the books that we've discussed on this podcast. We have a Hoodoo Beginner's Guide. Danny and I share our top reading picks. We also have the books that we discussed during our writing, The Spirits, including today's guest, Kiese, and his book, Long Division. Every purchase you make helps support our show. You can check us out at bookshop.org slash shop slash Hoodoo Plant Mamas or the link in our show notes. Other ways you can support us include rating and reviewing this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Hoodoo Plants and Instagram at Hoodoo Plant Mama. Check out our Patreon where we share exclusive video, plant, and spiritual content for only $3 a month. We have a new patron. Hey, Tracy. If you prefer a one-time donation, you can donate via Cash App, dollar sign, Hoodoo Plant Mamas, or our PayPal, HoodooPlantMamas at gmail.com. Thank you, Kristen, for your donation. Let's get back to the show. Something that we both noticed was like how funny this book was. And at the same time, you did bring up a lot of like complicated, difficult, nuanced questions. So I was just wondering, was the humor intentional? Like it was it a way to kind of soften a lot mm-hmm. of the difficult things that you wanted to bring up? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I haven't answered that question in a long time and now I'm feel like I'm gonna answer it for the first time because a lot of stuff I was trying to write through and heavy. I was I was trying to write in like in like earlier versions of Long Division. Like my thesis, MFA thesis was a book called My Name is City, which turned into Long Division. It was like 600, 700 pages. And in that book, there was a lot of stuff. There was a lot. I mean, it was like the land that y'all saw in Long Division. But, you know, there was another plot line about like these children and sexual abuse, like these children were being encouraged to molest each other un- under the guise of one of the uncles in the book. I took that out. There was some weird other shit. With, there, was a lot, the parent, there were a lot more parents in the book. Every time the parents were in the book, it was just so obviously dark. I took that out. So 
I was trying to write through shit that in my life, my own life was like, I couldn't, I, I didn't have a will to kind of like, I could look at it for a second and tell you what color it was, but I ain't had a will to like sit in that shit and like, you know how it is when you write and go through all of the everything in it. So the humor was just the only way I could get through any of it to tell you the truth. And it's not like some fake shit. Like I just laugh a lot. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you know, Danny, like we've been together long enough. Like, you know, I, I'll just be, I just like to laugh. You know, I like to laugh at everything. I like to smile at everything. Even when I'm mad at people or when like, you know, somebody do something dirty and I'm going to get the motherfuckers back. I'm still laughing, you know, like I'll just be laughing. So the book is, is literally about, when we talk about language, we have to talk about the bends of language. And one of the bends of language is the way I think black kids and particularly black kids in deep South, like make each other laugh to get through the days and the nights and the and the and the paradoxes of, of being not just being a child but just being so i was just like if i'm gonna do this book and i'm gonna be talking about the importance of language i gotta talk about humor like the characters have to laugh at each other but i as a writer have to also laugh myself my way through i mean even even that contest where you know it's rigged like they're all up there fucking having a hard ass time like going through all kind of emotions like tripping and doing shit carrying weight they shouldn't have to carry but it's like a rig contest it never had to happen like that to me is sad to me like that is that is incredibly sad so in order to get through it i just had to be like where is the humor in it and like i can't ever get through nothing if i don't find the humor so for the sake of not spoiling the book i ain't gonna say the word but i went and googled that word i did because i was like now wait a damn minute right it's a real word. It's a real word. It's a real word. But you don't get that word to that. But you don't give that word to that boy on that stage. Yeah, because we be jokingly saying that to each other. Exactly. Because I have literally said, "Oh, y'all acting very." Exactly. <laughs> now I find out it's a real word. It's a real word, and it don't mean, and it, and it really don't mean nothing that we were taught it meant. <laughs> Not, I mean, not really. When y'all read the book, y'all gonna know exactly what we're talking about. So, and some people have that I know listen listen to this, and they're gonna be laughing. But um, so me and Leah had talked a lot about time uh, when we were discussing this book, and I was thinking about time because I feel like you have in anything that I've read by you, like I feel like you have a really strong command of time, and I notice it because I don't, mm. and. I don't know if it makes sense. Leah, the only person that seemed like to get it when I mentioned it, but like coming from a really rural area, I always say it feel like time never moved. And when I go back home, I feel like I'm in a different time period than anywhere else. And so I was, I know you got grew up in Jackson, but you also spent time in Forest. So I was wondering like, what, what, how does your personal relationship Mm. to time and place impact your writing, if at all? Yeah, I love that question, especially because the first part is, you know, my mom, my mom and them had me on Jackson State campus, and then I lived in Jackson for a year, and then we, and then they went to Wisconsin to grad school, and for half of that time I was with my grandmama in Forest, and then the other half I was with my mom and them in Wisconsin, and then when my my mama left in like seventy nine eighty to come back to teach at Jackson State, and you know when you five or six seven or five four five six, you know we stay in. I mean, they had head started stuff, but I was just staying at my grandma's house. I wouldn't even stay with my grandma because my grandma was at work at Chicken Plant, so I was staying with my mama Lar, um, who was right next door. I mean, I'm writing a book about this now, so some of it is what I'm writing about now. But like, you know, that 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 Forest, Mississippi, and that house that we grew up in, you know, that was that was just the safest place I ever felt in my life, which is why in everything I write, uh, 
there's always a porch. There's always those same woods, even though I try to make them seem different, but they the same woods. And my grandmama, again, like she would just, she didn't, she didn't like baby me necessarily, but you know, like she got up at four 30 every morning, which means I got up at four 30 every morning. I slept with her from the time, you know, between the ages of two and like 13, you know what I mean? And when I'm in my grandmama house, I'm sleeping in my grandmama bed with her. But there is a point when you, when you, when you straddle that line, you go to Jackson, you go to Forest. And it ain't even far. It's like 40 minutes down I-20. But that shit always seemed like a different time period, fam. And I don't mean that in the way it's like, oh, it's so slow. Yeah, it is slower. But, like, the water tastes different. The way motherfuckers moved in forest down the road was different. The sounds and shit was different. The smells. You know, my grandma, she worked in chicken plant. So a chicken plant was, like, half a mile, like, behind the house. So, like, all you smell is death all the motherfucking time but also it's the most beautiful green luscious place uh, i've ever seen and you know rec- you know my mama my mama lara little house is right next to ours and on the other side of my grandma my house was like you know we called it the mexican trailer park because it was a trailer park that that they the chicken plant people like made into like a place where like they would get mexican folks initially they got cute cubans and then they got mexican folks to come in they would put them up in these trailers and then have them go work these fucking egregious hours for little to no money and so that's another reason it seemed like time just wasn't it wasn't the same time as we were in jackson but i just want to make sure when you when you ask that question what i love about it's like i'm not trying to say like the time i'm not trying to value the time and be like oh it it was less like comfortable because it was it was equally uncomfortable as jackson but it always just felt like time just didn't give a fuck you know like, like time wasn't trying to like catch up you know what i'm saying and part of that too was like my grandma ain't had no cable so you motherfucker be on the, you know, be on the floor turning that damn channel with the, you know, just turning that shit, like, and then this, y'all younger, but this is also, like, so much of my life is through television, so, like, you know, you ain't got no cable, when it get to, like, one or two o'clock in the morning, if your grandma's asleep, you get out of bed, like, ain't nothing on TV, but, like, the, you know, like, the, sometimes it'd be those, like, lines, it'd be, like, real colored lines across the straight screen, or sometimes it would be, like, just, like, you know, just static, and to me, that also just seems so antiquated, but also, it's just weird how I felt as comfortable as I ever felt in the world there. So anyway, I, I feel you on the land that time forgot. And I was really trying to play with that in that book. That's why the internet is so important to that book. Because, like, my grandmama and them don't even have no motherfucking, like, they still don't have ac- broadband access. You know what I'm saying? Like, my auntie did some shit to get my grandmama access, to get her access when she's at my grandmama house. But ain't no motherfucking internet. So if you become an internet celebrity, the last place your ass want to go, Camila Hatchet, because... You ain't got no internet. So that's why when the motherfuckers go to the library and they get the internet, I don't know, to me, it was really important for me to write that story in the library because, uh, you know, surrounded by all this quote unquote knowledge, all he gives about, all the fuck, all those, you know, a lot of those men in there, all they care about is like getting to access to the internet. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up um, time, Danny, because I had thought about that back in college. That was the first time I ever left my hometown. And so when I came wow. back, I would call it like reverse Narnia. <laughs> Yeah, because you come back and it's like, when you go to Narnia, all this time has passed. And so that's how I saw going back home. It just felt like nothing had passed. Everything was the way it was. Except when when I was at school, my mom would call me at 7 a.m. I was like, somebody's died. Yeah, every time. Every time. Every time. time. What else would you say that, Lee? It's like, that's what I'm trying to say about I don't want to make it seem like it's, it's just as traditionally like past and, and future because the place that i saw like the most kind of like racial diversity 
in Mississippi was on my grandmama's street. You know what I'm saying? Like you had, I mean, it wasn't, it was never no white people, but you had, because of the way economic, like, like capitalism fucking like works, like, you know, you had some people who were like exclusionary Cubans living in the trailer park. You had some Mexican folks, you had some black folks in the trailer park. And we, if you, and if you drive down that street, everybody on that street, you're going to be like, you're not going to make a distinction between my mama, my mama, my grandma, house, my mama, Lara house, uh, my great auntie house who lived down the road and a trailer park. It's just all, it looked all like the same shit, but it's so interesting that like now people would never talk about like that place is being diverse. It's like when I lived in Oxford and like some of my colleagues would talk about the most radical liberal place in the world and in the state being Starksville or Oxford. But politically that never, that never makes sense to me because Jackson for example, and a lot of and a few other black towns in Mississippi always vote politically left. You know, Oxford and Starkville, them motherfuckers like be trying like maybe sometime they're gonna go Republican, maybe sometime they go Democrat. But for them, they couldn't even imagine like like black people weren't people enough to be liberal or conservative. Do you know what I'm trying to say? So like I always just think that it says a lot about people sometimes when they just don't grant people like, yeah, like perspective, you know? I think I think that they forget and I don't forget, especially when I go back home, that like a, a lot of us who were raised in Mississippi, we grew up in towns that like I know that white people run my hometown, like as far as like power, resources, but I did not see them that much. Like mm-hmm. we grew up around black people. We grew up going to maybe our auntie's house, or our cousin's house in a neighborhood where kids, we all outside, everybody in the neighborhood know each other. And just existing in a particular way. And so I can always, I can always tell when this wasn't people's experience. And also when people just like can't see that part of Mississippi, they only see uh, Oxford or they only see the Delta, which is also very black, but the Delta is like fetishized in a particular way that I don't even like relate to because ain't nobody know where no damn I'm not going to say my town, ain't nobody know where that place is, is for right, real. Right. So I agree with that. This is my last question. And I feel like it touches on what both of y'all um, have said. So there's this conversation between city and his uncle rail about writing mm-hmm. and his uncle rail compared like writing to a porta potty. He says, you can shit classic or regular. <laughs> um, he also said, I don't know what you're writing in that book. You always carrying around, but it better be classic because you ain't going to get it no two times to get it right and so Hmm. it reminded me of two things last year i was working with this developmental editor she's also a black woman she's from georgia um and she called my writing colorblind because i wasn't constantly critiquing white people and talking Mm -hmm. about race i was talking about black people and like the issues that black people are facing and so like i get like i get like that is part of the southern experience you know being around white people but at the same time, I was in these predominantly black spaces where they yeah. rarely ever talked about white people because yeah. they didn't work with them. They didn't go to school with them right. um, and like that. And so, too, I read this essay last year by Elaine Castillo, who called out publishing for believing that non-white people can only exist as tokens, right. and that our lives are only to highlight or to juxtapose whiteness And she argued that we exist and have full lives separate from the white imagination. And so as me and Danny were discussing this book, it seems like a lot of this was commentary on the publishing world and how oftentimes they only let one black person in 
and it has to be someone who adheres to what whiteness imagines black life to be mm-hmm. and how black folks barely get you know a first chance to publish and so right. um there's all of this pressure to make everything perfect the first time and i do want to push back on this because i remember you tweeted this so i went back and found it you tweeted if you're out here throwing everything you care about in that piece of art because you aren't sure you'll have a second chance, trust our tradition. When I say we'll make more and accepting our tradition of conjuring abundance over and over in face of terror. And so I'm wondering if you could elaborate more on what you were trying to say in this book about like Black people publishing and the white imagination. That's such a great hard question because, you know, there are a number of characters in that book that I'm not sure you should, like, on the surface, like, I wouldn't believe anything they say. But, like, you know, the preacher, you know, for example, you know, like, you know. But but I think that there's truth to it. So Rel is saying that shit, and I'm not saying that. And I hope that the book isn't saying that. Like, I hope that the book isn't putting that pressure on that boy. Like, you know, whatever you write, and it's got to be the greatest shit in the world, or ain't nobody going to see it. But I, what I, again, to, to kind of tie back to what you asked earlier, like, I'm I'm trying to show that there is, like, a, there is sort of like a, a, I mean, they would not call it this, but there's an artistic pressure, which really is like a, like a economic pressure to like, you know, rail is like, I don't know nothing about no writing, but what I do know is that it's a white shit. And if you're going to do this shit right, you got to get it right the first time. And that's pressure. That's real. I mean, that's, that's not even spe- like, I grew up with people like my family is those people. My family is like, you got to be motherfucking better than these niggas, like, or you don't have a chance. And I was that kid who was like, but they not good. Like, stop telling me to be better than them, fam. Like, I go to school with these motherfuckers now. Like, they're not good. Like, tell me to be better than somebody who's actually good. And that's when I get a taste slapped at my mouth. Real talk from, like, my mom or somebody, you know? So I'm making commentary on the publishing industry, but I I never, I mean, that's why we here talking. Like, I didn't believe that shit wholeheartedly that there could ever be one. And when I did believe it, I never thought there could only be one talented one. I thought there could only be one that they're going to let in, you know, sometimes. But even then, like, the fuck, I've never said this before, but I've, I've always just still believe that, like, not only, like, our talent, but, like, you know, that gumption was going to get, a, I felt like the gumption was going to make a way. And, that, and that's where, like, you know, these words we create, like, what the fuck is gumption? Is it talent? Is it will? Is it perseverance? Is it magic? I don't know. But, like, when, when New York Publishing was fucking with me, like, I never thought, like, we weren't going to get our shit in the door. Like, I thought these motherfuckers were, like, proving to me what my grandparents and my mom and them didn't admit, which is that white people are mediocre at choice making. And they're mediocre at evaluating motherfucking talent. Like, part of the translator slave trade is, like, they go over there and, like, they just grab motherfuckers. Like, like, and they have no idea, like, what this is going to do to them. Like, not just morally, but, like, what it's going to do to them. So, like, so anyway, I feel you on not talking about white people all the time as, as well. But it's my pleasure. You know what I'm saying? In my family, like, talking shit about white people. But in that book, I wanted to be, like, exactly what you just said. Like, there's a whole lot of world beyond just talking shit about white folks and, like, in my family, the most like in, like incredible experiences are when we sitting around talking. It can be about whatever the fuck. It could be you know like about church, about TV, about basketball, about football, about somebody walking down the street, and we always gonna be laughing. And we all somebody always gonna be trying to like you know say some undercutting shit. That, you know, there's always a subtext, and because we're in a nation, I think whiteness is is cradling that shit. Like if you know. Just like in, in indigeneity is like wherever the land is, but yeah, I, I love our conversations when white people ain't there, and that's so, so that's so that's why in that book 
the kids are kind of keep on trying to be like, yo, we just trying to live. And y'all motherfuckers keep talking about white people. But like, why? Why their eyes always got to be when where, where they not? And how can we be free? You know, I mean, I mean, y'all read the book. Like, how can we be free if we steady trying to like worry about the fuck they see, even when they not here? Um, and ultimately, like, you can't be free if you steady worrying about what white people think. But I, I'm just saying, some of those people who the main like vocal uh, performance, respectable people, like, if you really listen and watch those people, like, they're kind of like their lives don't necessarily like adhere to like their philosophies. Because a lot of times, those people are, like ultra like black performing. You know what I'm saying? Y'all make me think about a lot of shit, so. I had two things, because it was two things that you brought up. Well, first of all, I I can't write about white people. Like, I even this story I started, and maybe that's why I stopped, because I just realized that it was loosely based on a story that my grandma told me when I interviewed her for something, and I was like, and I stopped writing it because I was like, I don't know how I'm going to write this without them being there, but I guess right. I'm going to just stop. Right, right. <laughs> because, but, because sometimes them being there and, and our language is different than them being there. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think, I think, I think there's a way they can be there. Because Danny, we talk, some, when we talk, like when we in the, if I'm taking you somewhere in the car to Kroger, like we ain't talking about white people. Even if sometimes we like be like, you know how they are, you know, like that, that's like that, that's not really talking about white people. That's like, like me thinking you might find pleasure in my saying that you thinking I might find pleasure and you know how they are. And I'm like, oh, do I, you know, like, but we keep going, you know what I mean? Like, so I think there's a difference between like those rhetorical sort of like things that are like actually for black people than like actually talking about white people. Because that shit happens rarely, I think, in black communities, black families. Yeah, when I think about it, we do not be thinking about them. But um, right. the other thing I was going to ask you, and this may or may not be able to stay in. It's not even bad, but you were mentioning how for this book, you interviewed family members, right? I interviewed uh, a lot of people for the book. I mean, oh, like historians people. and stuff, yeah. That's good to know. Because I always wonder, like, what other things, like, some. I feel like sometimes we get stuck on in our writing because we need to be doing some work outside of the writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to do that by yourself. So with myself, I just been like, okay, I feel like there's something else I should be doing. But I never even thought about interviewing historians or mm-hmm. I've interviewed my grandma before. But, you know, some black people really don't like talking about the past. Right. Or they talk around it. Right. And so the one interview that I did do with her, I was rereading it recently. And she actually did give me a lot. But there was so much she didn't give me, particularly Mm -hmm. about her parents. But anyway, I just thought about that. And I thought about the importance of, like, our world, like, people in our world, like, helping us write through things like time. Because to me, I guess I think of all that as time. And that's probably why I have not a good command on time. I actually feel like I don't even be thinking about time. I just like be writing and it just be like, I guess <laughs> we somewhere in here, but I don't know where we are, but I'm going to just write it. But I also just think like it's that. indicative of how I grew up. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, even when I go back home, it's weird for me. Cause I just feel like, damn, ain't nothing changed on this street. Like everybody house still here. There go our neighbor. He waving at us, like he always do when we go past him on the road. Like it's just weird. Like it's right. weird when you're in a space where everything's moving, and then you go back and ain't nothing really changed. You know what I but, mean? But but to me that that but the, isn't that like the most interesting thing? Because even even those places that seem to not have changed the, the most, those are the places that I think 
I'm most interested in like the kinds of minute or big changes that do happen. So even if that person is sitting there, like I'm interested in like how six years can go by and motherfuckers still just waving at the end of the like because because to me, I think that there's a lot of shit that went in that person's life. But they still want to act as if it's the same thing. Hey, now, how y'all doing? All right, now. Like, I don't know. So I always, I love that. But I also just think those spaces are really, like, ripe for explorations of shit people don't see. Because people don't see black people. People really don't see rural black people. Like, don't see them. Like, don't see. Like, and, 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 and the figment of the imagination that we create is so far away from, like, black rurality that, like, it it's like more than not see you know like it's putting up like i mean you could say argue this about black people generally but i think it's way worse for like rural black folk in a deep south like it's just i think it is too and when i say not changing because it's weird i think i'm not probably talking about the landscape but something about that like Mm -hmm. i be forgetting Mm -hmm. people died like i be on the phone with my grandma about to ask about somebody and i'm like this person died she be forgetting people died like um because so much in the landscape hasn't changed with the exception of a really bad tornado we had. But even then, like these like core communities that we have in my town, they look pretty much exactly the same. Even if somebody maybe house burned down and they built another one, that house is the only new thing here to the landscape. Um, But those are the things I've been, that I think about when I'm reading, actually when I'm reading everybody's stuff, because I'd be like, how in the, how do y'all be doing this? Like, you know, it ain't, it ain't like I'm super young. Like, I done lived through at least three de- <laughs> like decades of time. It's like, you can't write about this. Like, you remember some of the 90s. You remember the 2000s. You remember the, uh, like, the period where you was in college and all that. But I still just, like, it just don't be coming together for me. But but what about music and stuff though? Like, that's why I think music and television are important because because what's, what's so interesting when you said that like yo even at my grandmama's house like if you would have asked me the shows my mom and we ain't had no cable so it wasn't like she was watching Nick at Night or the other old ass TV Land but I'm like like yo we was watching Sanford and Son we, and that shit was on syndication we were watching Good Time syndication. What else was on syndication? Jefferson, syndicate. Like, so all these shows that were on, like, in the 70s, we watching the motherfuckers really almost into the 90s. And so, like, when I'm saying, like, so when I'm creating characters, yeah, it's like, how do you create a character who is responding to whatever's the stimuli in the room? But also part of the stimuli in the room might be a television that's on, and I'll say, in, like, 92. But what's on in 92 might be Sanford and Son, which filmed this last episode in, like, 79 or 80. And so I'm asking as a writer, like, what does that mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, and I think it means something, but you can't, but the thing is readers don't really give a fuck. So, but you might need to know, you know? My final thoughts are, I'm super thankful for you coming on and talking to us. Um, I, I love this book. And I think the first time I read it, I didn't love it because I think I was in a different headspace, And I, I think I didn't love it because I didn't get it. I was like, man, I'm dizzy. Like, I'm finna, I'm finna walking away from this. But then I reread it, and I was like, I remember this, but why didn't I experience it so differently back then? Probably because all the shit I was going through in Millsaps, and I was probably like, look at this boy showing his ass in front of these white people. <laughs> remember, remember you told me, Danny, you ain't like me when we first met. You Remember you said you ain't like me. <laughs> I don't not I don't I don't remember I don't recall that you say that and I don't even think that's how that happened okay all right okay (laughs) I had a real bad crisis after you left too and that's probably gonna be in a memoir I and and I'll let you see it (laughs) no it was really bad like it was 
I don't blame you, but it was just a lot happening. When you came, I just felt like I couldn't look at the school the same. The experience wasn't the same. And I just feel feel like I got thrusted straight into, wow, I'm really in this place. Basically, you come and changed the course of my life. Oh, damn. <laughs> it really did. No, it re- because I just couldn't look at things differently. I feel like I was experiencing these things, but I was in denial about it or something. And then when you started naming it, I was just like, he really saying this in front of all these people. Like, mm. and then it was just from there. I, I Then I started seeing everything and it was like, damn, and I'm stuck here. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that last part. That's yeah. yeah. But but yeah. But look, you and Leah, all of us, we got Millsaps in common. That means a lot to me. I, you know, yeah. I never want to get kicked out. You know, I was always say that I, I don't I don't love that place, but I never want to get kicked out. I want to graduate from there. Yeah. I also just want to thank you for being here. And since we're talking about you as an inspiration, I remember it was one of Doctor D's classes. I don't remember one. But you came and you talked to us and you told us to like quit writing to white people. And that really changed my life because up until then, all of my teachers have been like my writing teachers have been white women. And so I always had to write in a way where they could understand me. And it really opened up like my writing practice to write in a way and to not apologize and to not explain. So I really appreciate you for doing that. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh, yeah, and then yo, you was blowing my mind up in that month. Anyway, I, I don't want to. I just want to say, yo, 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 thank y'all for making space and thank y'all for carrying our tradition on. And uh, so send me, send me some stuff. I'm gonna leave till January. I got a lot of time. Okay. I'm surreal, so please. I ain't got none. But... Why you lying? You like I know you got plenty. <laughs> wow. All right, I, I'm gonna send it. But I ain't gonna bother you if you don't respond. I'm gonna just be like, I know I sent it. (laughs) Thank y'all for making space for me. For I appreciate this. Of course, thank you, and we'll we'll be in touch. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, you can like, rate, and review Who Do Plant Mamas on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If anything from the show resonated with you, make sure to share with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Who Do Plants and Instagram at Who Do Plant Mamas. Thank y'all for listening. Bye. Bye.